It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined to recap day number three, the final day of the 2020 NFL Draft, by my buddy Luke Grant down under in Australia, where it is actually a reasonable time in Australia where Luke is right now. It's actually right in the middle of the busiest part of the day, so he's refreshed, and most of us are either just first getting up or about to go to sleep. So Luke, thanks so much for coming on and joining me for this. Really appreciate it, buddy. No, thanks for having me on again, Scott. I, I wouldn't say refreshed. It's been a big few days up at 2am this morning, but look, it's an exciting time. Uh, it was a huge few days for Joe Douglas and the Jets, and, and let's get stuck into it. Yeah, for sure. And they had three picks in the fourth round. They had a pick in the fifth. Then they had two picks in the sixth originally, but they moved one of those picks, and we'll get to that with their first pick in the fourth round, which was their own pick, number 120, the one that they almost traded away to the Jaguars to move up to number nine, but ended up not having to use it to move up. Instead, they were able to stay at 11 and take Makai Becton. They used this on LaMichael Perrine, the running back from Florida. I can't say that this is the worst pick in the world, but I just don't really like it. I think he's an okay running back. There's not much of a ceiling here. He's not bad at anything, but he's not especially good at anything. A lot of people were talking about how he could potentially be another Bilal Powell. I suppose that could be his ceiling, but Bilal Powell's an okay player. If a running back ceiling is an okay running back, I just don't like that in the fourth round. I thought there was better value. There were some wide receivers and offensive linemen that you could have gone with here. Even a cornerback, Reggie Robinson, the second, went off the board a couple picks later. And then Anthony McFarland, who we both like because of his elite athleticism, he went a couple picks later to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then Eno Benjamin from Arizona State didn't go until the seventh. But Luke, you and I really liked him. I'm very surprised he lasted that long. What did you think of this pick? Because like I said, it's not the worst pick in the world, but I just thought they could have done better here. Yeah, I think it surprised me for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, I was expecting more that complimentary speed back to run some more outside zone. And they took P. Ryan, who, as you said, he's a really solid player, has good hands out of the backfield. But it was a very different methodology today than it was to the previous two days. The first three picks, four picks in the draft, you saw really good athletes. And then P. Ryan is a very average athlete, and we kind of saw that trend continue on, on day three of the draft. Look, I think he's going to be a fine player, has a similar inside zone style to Bell, not in the patience point of view, but as far as he's not going to have those breakaway runs, a lot of his work will be done between the tackles. It's a fine pick, but as you said, positional value, not that great for a running back, uh, not the most athletic player with the highest ceiling. So all in all, I was a little underwhelmed, but uh, obviously a guy that, that Joe and, and Adam coveted. 
And then their next pick in the fourth round, a couple spots later at number 125, they went with James Morgan, Captain Morgan, the quarterback from Florida International. This was a bizarre pick. I understand that they were looking at a potential developmental backup to groom behind Sam Darnold, and I'm fine with that. It's certainly something that's a valuable commodity if you get the right guy. And if you are able to develop him, not only do you have yourself a potential long-term backup, but if he does really well, say, in preseason or spot duty, maybe he becomes trade bait. But this seemed really high. I haven't put in a lot of work on Morgan just because I didn't expect the Jets to draft him. So I'm going to start really looking into him. And you're going to hear from somebody who covered James Morgan when he was at Florida International on the show coming up soon. But this just felt like a spot where they should have picked somebody that could have come in here and helped right away. Because, Luke, we know that this team had a lot of holes. And the fourth round is where you can still get guys that can have an impact on day one. There were still plenty of players on the board here. There were several receivers. Tyler Johnson was still here. Colin Johnson was still here. You had Amik Robertson, who's a slot corner. And I understand that they don't necessarily need that. But there's value there because of how good he is. You still had... Ben Bredesen, the guard from Michigan on the board. Tyler Biadas was on the board. Nick Harris was on the board. So there were a lot of players here that the Jets could have taken that maybe could have helped right away and actually done so at a position that they needed. And I hope that Captain Morgan turns into a good quarterback. I understand that they liked him. This just seems like a move that gets made by a team that doesn't have the number of needs that the Jets have. No, exactly right. I think the first thing I tweeted out was that they left a a bit too much meat on the bone for me. I think when you're drafting in that position, there's still useful day one starters at corner, at edge, and at parts of the interior offensive line. It was a strange reach for me. Obviously, backup quarterback is an important position, and we've seen that with teams like Philly and, and Tennessee, but the Jets aren't, you know, they don't have that roster yet. They're not ready to compete. They're not one piece away. So it was surprising that they reached at 125 to take James Morgan. Again, a guy I didn't dive, dive too deep into either. Uh, but yeah, I didn't love the pick. The value wasn't quite there for me. And I found a bit of a reach for Morgan there that high in the fourth round. Then at number 129, the Jets selected Cameron Clark, the guard slash tackle out of UNC Charlotte. He's interesting because he has played all five positions on the line and he has some really good tape. A little bit of a project, but he's somebody that may be able to make an impact at guard in the long term. Brandon Thorne, who, as we know, has a deep knowledge of offensive linemen, said that one of his favorite picks of day three along the offensive line was Cameron Clark, and he was asked about it. He said Clark's overall technique stood out. He was dominant on tape in a bunch of the games that he watched and really liked the idea of him transitioning inside from tackle to guard. Also said that he was one of the best offensive linemen on the field, if not the best offensive lineman on the field, when UNC Charlotte played against Clemson. And if you can play well against top competition like Clemson, when we're talking about late in the fourth round, this is a guy that has the physical traits to go with this. So it's something 
that is really fascinating for Joe Douglas and Adam Gase in the long term. Maybe he doesn't get on the field this year, but they do have a bunch of those one-year stop gaps. Could be a long-term solution at guard. He has been working out a lot with Makai Becton, apparently, so he vouched for him, and perhaps those two become monsters on the Jets' offensive line for the next couple of years because Clark, much like Becton, is a very, very large man. Yeah, so Cameron Clark was definitely my favorite fourth-round pick. This morning, up until about 5 a.m., I'd never watched a snap of him in my life. Charlotte's not a team that came up on my radar through the draft process. But I was really impressed with just his ability to, number one, block in zone situations, outside zone. He's a terrific finisher. His upper body strength and his use of extension and leverage is really good, and he understands that, particularly in the run game. It's funny that he uh, he was with Becton in the offseason in the draft process because there are some similarities on tape. Obviously, he doesn't have the size nor the, the fundamental footwork, but it's the way they block in the run game. If he was to be a long-term developmental left guard starter for the Jets, I think that would be terrific. Those two would be huge for Le'Veon Bell or whoever is the running back in 2021. I don't think he's going to see the field too much in 2020. I think he has some work to do on his footwork but that will be improved when you kick him inside to guard in that phone booth and he's able to kind of battle one-on-one with guys. Interesting pick. I liked the value where it was. His Clemson tape, as you mentioned, was really impressive. Uh, And I think that was a savvy pick by Douglas. And with the next pick in round number five, the pick was number 158 overall. The Jets grabbed Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia. This is somebody that a lot of people thought Could go as high as the third round. Really talented kid. He dropped because of injury concerns. Had a really bad ankle injury, so people were worried about that. And I think that this is where him not being able to work out for teams in the lead-up to the draft probably hurt him because if he could have proved that he was back to complete and total normal health, perhaps he doesn't slide, but unfortunately for Hall, he does. But fortunately for Jets fans, he fell right into the Jets' lap here. He's a really good press man corner. And he's somebody that actually should be able to compete for a starting job right off of the bat because, quite frankly, the Jets may have a bunch of bodies now at corner, and we're going to get into that a little bit more later, but they don't have any set-in-stone starters. The closest one to that is Pierre Desir, but even he took a step back last year and was injured, so there's no guarantees here. Bryce Hall, a really good value pick here at 158. I would have been plenty happy with him coming off the board for the Jets late in the third or even with one of those fourth round picks. So to get him at 158, you have to be very happy, especially at a position of need and a premium position at that. I I tweeted out about it last week and said that if they took him at 79, like you said, I'd be stoked with Bryce Hall. Obviously had the ankle injury and still a little bit, but he's a terrific player. I don't think anyone on Jets Twitter was as high on Denzel Mims as I was, but even still, I think this was my favorite pick in the entire draft. To get Hall, who's a starting caliber corner, an outside corner at 159, it's terrific value. I think around the ankle injury, the good thing is that Bryce Hall wasn't an elite athlete to start with. He isn't a guy who relies on his deep speed or on his movement skills. He has terrific instincts when he's playing off the ball in zone coverage. His eyes are really good. He understands route patterns. And then when he's at the line of scrimmage, he's very physical and uses his length. I think he's 6'1", and he's very good in press. So he's a good fit. He has some schematic flexibility. I think he's a terrific player. If that ankle's even baseline kind of healthy and he's a baseline NFL athlete, I think it's a terrific pick and it's a steal on the fifth round. 
Then in the sixth round, the Jets got a little funky. Manish had talked about this on the podcast before, so it wasn't a total shock, but they went with Braden Mann, the punter from Texas A&M at number 191 overall, best punter in the country. Some people thought that it was a little ridiculous to be taking a punter in the sixth round over perhaps another wide receiver, but I'll be honest with you, Luke, I was fine with it. It's the sixth round. If they really like this kid and think he could be the punter here for the next decade, no problem. I'm good with it, and I think that he certainly has all the traits of an elite punter. Could be Pro Bowl potential here. I know that punter is certainly not an important position on the field, but it does matter, and so if you're getting a guy that you think is going to be an outstanding punter at 191, go for it. Well, I think the good news is if uh, Adam Gase calls his offensive game plan like last year, we'll see the field a lot. So <laughs> he may be more valuable than you think. But look, I have no issue with the pick. When you get to the sixth and seventh rounds, you're throwing darts. That's why usually I'd suggest trading them for, for veteran players anyway. So no issue with the pick at all. He was the consensus best punter in the country. Um, look, there were still a couple of wide receivers that could have come off the board there that would have interested me. Uh, but a couple of players had come off previously that I didn't really care who they took. Uh, so I was fine with the pick. Um, I will say that Boyer has terrific coverage units. It's obviously an important part of of his unit. So no problem at all here. And then finally, with the last pick the Jets had, the one that they got from the Chiefs for Darren Lee last year, number 211, they dealt it to the Indianapolis Colts. So that Colts connection comes in handy once again. Rex Hogan being the liaison here, if you recall, the Jets made that deal to go up from 6-3 to three to get Sam Darnold back in 2018. Then in 2019, in the summertime when the Jets were looking for some corner help, they traded a conditional pick that they ended up not having to give up for Nate Hairston. And now another deal with the Colts as Quincy Wilson comes over from the Colts. A couple of years ago, he was a second rounder out of Florida. He actually played fairly well for a bit in Indianapolis, and there were really high hopes for him going into this year. In fact, that's why the Colts got rid of Nate Hairston. It's because they believed that Quincy Wilson was ready to take that big step up. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. They started to play a lot more zone this year than they had in the past, and that is what had actually hurt Nate Hairston. Nate Hairston better in man than zone. Same thing with Quincy Wilson. So the idea here is still a young player, just as much upside, if not more, than anyone you're going to get in the sixth round, and you bring him in here, put him in that man scheme with Greg Williams, and figure that it's worth a shot. Again, as you said, Luke, these are dart throws. Fifth, sixth, seventh round, every once in a while you get a true gem, but usually you're using these on role players, special teamers, or you're using them to move up and down the draft board or flip them for veteran players. So that's what they did here, and I'm fine with it because, like I said, I really do think that Quincy Wilson has more upside than anybody else you were going to get at 211. I absolutely loved Quincy Wilson coming out in 2017. Obviously, it was a terrific uh, corner class in the end with guys like Marshawn Lattimore and Tredavious White, but I was super high on him, and he was very close to my number one corner. It didn't, it didn't pan out for them. He, he was a square peg in a round hole. They played more cover two than, than he would have liked. His strengths have been physical at the line of scrimmage using his length, similar to what we just talked about with Bryce Hall. Uh, he's got good uh, ability to play the ball in the air and impact the ball at the catch point. And I think he has a chance to be successful here. Obviously, Hogan has those links to Indianapolis, so you trust him uh, and his knowledge of the player. But in conjunction with that, he's only 23 years old and he has three years of NFL experience. As you touched on, Scott, 
he played pretty well in 2018 when given a chance. He hasn't played a lot of football. He's been asked to do things he isn't comfortable with, including playing safety last year a little bit. So I think it's a terrific uh, roll of the dice, and, and I was really excited about it. And then after the draft ended, because that was their last pick that they traded away for Quincy Wilson, the Jets did sign a couple of undrafted free agents. Luke, you've taken a look at some of these guys. What do you think? Lamar Jackson was a guy that everyone drafted to the Jets on Twitter for three months in the fifth and sixth round. <laughs> he has a chance to stick around. He's additional depth of the position. I don't think you're going to get a, you know, a starter there. I think he probably won't make the 53 when push comes to shove. Uh, Lawrence Cager was a guy that people have been talking about heavily over the last couple of hours. A very uh, size, a tall corner out of Georgia. Um, five, uh, six foot five, I think he is. Terrific hands, but has no real deep speed. Isn't a threat vertically. Bit of a chain mover, but I don't expect him to be an upgrader over either Doxon or, or someone of that nature. Um, and then Guidry's got a lot of speed out of Utah. Played poorly in a couple of games I saw. One of those was against USC, but he has the athletic upside that we saw the guys gamble on earlier in the draft. All in all, I think there's a couple of nice moves. Um, one I didn't touch on was Huff, the linebacker or outside linebacker out of Memphis. He's probably the best player of the lot, to be honest with you. I think I had him with a draftable grade, um, a little undersized. I think he's 255 playing off the edge there at Memphis, but has some bend and twitch and explosiveness. Look, maybe he'll stick. If, if you ask me to guess who's the guy to stick out of those five, I'd probably say that it's Huff. Um, it's not the strongest position on the Jets roster, and I think he's probably the best player of the lot. Before we roll through the rest of the draft, Luke, we should talk about the big trade that was made, and that's Trent Williams going to the San Francisco 49ers and reuniting with Kyle Shanahan, who was there when the Redskins drafted him. And in exchange, they give up a fifth-round pick this year and a third-round pick next year, which is incredible value for the 49ers. They may only have him for this year because his contract is up at the end of the season and we don't know if they're going to re-sign him or if they're going to work out some sort of deal before the season starts. But even if it's just a one-year rental, for a team like the 49ers who are legitimate Super Bowl contenders who were just in the Super Bowl, this is a phenomenal move, even if it's just a one-year rental. Trent Williams... I thought for sure was either going to go for what the Redskins were asking for or the Redskins were going to call his bluff and make him come into camp. I guess in the end they decided that it was the right thing to do to trade him and that they just weren't going to be able to get him to come in or they relented. Whatever the case is, he goes to the 49ers and the circumstances behind this are incredible because this deal started getting worked on a couple of days ago when Joe Staley went to the 49ers and told them that he was not going to be coming back. He's decided to retire. So the 49ers decided they needed to make a move. Staley did that because he was trying to help the 49ers out by letting them know before the draft so they could address the position. And they addressed it all right by going out and getting an all-pro tackle to replace the all-pro tackle that they had that was retiring. I'll tell you something, Luke. It really is amazing with the 49ers. They lose arguably their best receiver in Emmanuel Sanders. No problem. Trade up a couple of spots get a younger guy who can really stretch the field in Brandon Ayuk. And by the way, stretching the field was one of the problems that the 49ers had. They didn't really have a receiver that could do that. Now they do. They had to trade DeForest Buckner because they couldn't afford to pay him after bringing back Armstead. No problem. They trade him for a pick that they use on a defensive tackle who profiles a lot like Buckner himself is six years younger and costs a fraction of the price over the next five years. 
And then, of course, they lose their all-pro tackle to retirement, and they go out and get another all-pro tackle. So just a remarkable job here by the 49ers of finding a way to manage the fact that when you're a great team like this, you have roster turnover because guys end up leaving and you can't afford to pay them all. But they found a way to competently replace all three of these major pieces that left. That is a great job by John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. The contrast between the front offices and the asset management from San Francisco and Cleveland is just incredible. You talked about the shrewd moves and ability to replace deficiencies that the 49ers have done through this offseason. Then you look at Cleveland, who waited till the day after the first round to trade their left tackle after Cleveland, the Jets, and teams like Tampa Bay take their tackles and they have zero leverage. It was an incredible situation. Obviously, the stubbornness of the ownership and, and the front office has been an issue in Washington for a while now, but that was incredible. Very good move for San Francisco. They, if anything, upgrade the position after losing their all-pro tackle, and they're just going to continue to be the powerhouse in the, uh, in the NFC. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Luke, let's go through the rest of this draft and we'll hit on some of the high points. The day started out at pick number 107 with Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker from Appalachian State. And then at 108, the Redskins go out and presumably get a guy that they think might be able to eventually replace Trent Williams, and that's Shadiq Charles, the tackle from LSU. Some character concerns, needs some work, but a lot of potential. 
somebody who could very well become a starter there. John Simpson, the guard from Clemson, goes at 109 to the Raiders. Darnay Holmes, the slot corner from UCLA, never quite lived up to the potential that he brought to the table there, but still a really nice value pick at 110 for the Giants. Solomon Kinley, who I really liked as a potential pick for the Jets somewhere in the fourth or fifth round. He goes at 111 to the Dolphins. He's the guard from Georgia. So Georgia has three guys off their offensive line Picked within the first four rounds. Joshua Kelly, the running back from UCLA at 112 to the LA Chargers. Troy Pride, the corner from Notre Dame to the Carolina Panthers. This is a guy that could have gone in the third round as well. Leaky Fatu, the defensive tackle from Utah who had a bunch of defensive players drafted in this draft. Harrison Bryant, the tight end from Florida Atlantic, goes to the Browns. Jacksonville takes Ben Barch, who I know you really like, Luke, the tackle from St. John's. DJ Wanham, the edge from South Carolina, goes to the Vikings at 117. At 118, the Broncos take Albert Aka something. I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry. Tight end from Missouri. Mikkel Walker, the linebacker from Fresno State, goes at 119 to the Falcons. And this is all before the Jets pick LaMichael Perrine. So, Luke, talk about this group. Who did you like here? What were some of the picks that you were looking at as savvy picks? And tell me some of the prospects that you think could make an impact from this group looking from pick number 107 all the way up to when the Jets picked at number 120. Yeah, look, I think Ben Barch, you kind of touched on him just then. He was a really impressive prospect. Uh, his stock went through the roof during the Senior Bowl week where he handled a lot of the better competition and I think he was a steal when you start looking at the, the top of the fourth round. He was a borderline second round player for me. I think he was better than a guy like Austin Jackson who went at 11 to Miami. Sorry, not to 11. He went to 18 to Miami. I think he has traits that will continue to develop. He's a little raw now. He obviously came from a Division three school. That was a pick I love. Some of the tight ends in that group, I think the Broncos took one there. Um, Albert's a terrific athlete. I'm not going to touch his last name either. Uh, I think they were probably three of the best picks, the pair of tight ends and, and also uh, Ben Barch. And then after the Jets pick, LaMichael Perrine, Logan Stenberg, the guard from Kentucky, goes at number 121 to the Lions. Jacob Eason, the quarterback from Washington, ends up going to the Colts. So that's kind of an interesting one. Maybe they think that he can be the guy in waiting after Phillip Rivers is done there. We'll see. Reggie Robinson, the second, the cornerback from Tulsa, goes to the Cowboys, who I think had a tremendous draft. That was at 123. Couple picks after Perrine went to the Jets, Anthony McFarlane Jr., the running back from Maryland, goes to the Steelers at 124. I would have preferred him or even Eno Benjamin, although what do I know? Because as we'll see, Benjamin didn't come off the board until the seventh round. Then after James Morgan, Charlie Heck, the tackle from North Carolina, goes 126 to the Texans. Kayvon Wallace, the safety from Clemson, goes at 127 to the Eagles. And Gabriel Davis, the wide receiver from UCF, goes to the Bills at 128. So Luke, what do you think about this group from after the Jets pick Perrine at 121 all the way up through when they pick Cameron Clark at 129? I think uh, that Gabriel Davis is a really nice fit in Buffalo. I think Josh Allen struggled to throw the ball vertically, but they've given him some more speed down there now. He's going to be a nice complement to John Brown and ability to stretch the field. Someone the Jets were linked to in the third and fourth rounds throughout the draft process. So I did like that pick quite a bit. Obviously, the Jacob Eason pick, they like his traits. I think he's got a good guy to sit behind him, Philip Rivers, who probably only has one year left. Will he be ready in 2021? 
we'll see. But uh, the Colts kind of rolled the dice there and picked their their quarterback of the future. And then you touched on McFarland. I thought he was a really nice fit with the Jets if they opted to, to go in that direction. They didn't, but they were probably my three pa- favorite picks in, the, in that range in the fourth round. And then after that, we get to James Lynch, the defensive end from Baylor. He goes to the Vikings at 130. Rashard Lawrence, defensive tackle from LSU, who had a ton of players picked in this draft. He goes 131 to the Arizona Cardinals. Troy Dye to the Vikings, linebacker out of Oregon at 132. The Seahawks get Colby Parkinson, the tight end from Stanford, at 133. At 134, Jalen Hawkins, the safety from California, goes to the Falcons at 135. Kevin Dotson, the guard from Louisiana at Lafayette. He goes to the Steelers. At 136, the Rams get Bryson Hopkins, the tight end from Purdue. 137, the Jaguars get Josiah Scott, the corner from Michigan State. Legarius Sneed, the safety from Louisiana Tech, goes at 138 to the Chiefs. And here's a guy that I really, really liked, although I didn't necessarily expect the Jets to pick him just because it's not really a huge need since they have Brian Poole, although Poole is only on a one-year deal. Amik Robertson, the slot corner from Louisiana Tech, he goes to the Raiders at 139. Robertson, a really talented player, small guy, five foot eight. But as you know, as a Jets fan, if you remember Ray Mickens, one of the gold standards for slot cornerbacks, he was only five foot eight. So if you could have gotten Robertson and he turned into another Ray Mickens, really would have been a nice pick for the Jets here. But alas, they decided they had other needs, so he ends up going to the Raiders. So let's talk about this from pick 130 down to 139. What do you think here, Luke? Yeah, I think we'll start with that Amik Robertson pick. I think he plays a lot of man press, a smaller guy, as you said, that will play in the slot, but they don't seem to have an issue drafting those kind of players. Gary and Conley wasn't a huge corner when he came out a couple of years ago out of Ohio State. I think it's a nice fit and a guy that could have ended up on the Jets if he continued to slide. I think another interesting one as well was Kobe Parkinson. The Seahawks just seem to keep accumulating assets at tight end. They've had a couple of really good ones over the last two or three years, and they added to that again. I'm personally a fan of adding to your strengths and continuing to build, especially when they play as much 22 personnel, 21 personnel as they do over in Seattle. I thought that was a nice fit, and uh, I liked that pick a lot. At pick 140, Shaquille Quarterman, the linebacker from Miami, goes to the Jaguars, so he stays in the state of Florida. John Reed, the corner from Penn State, he goes to the Texans at pick number 141. Antonio Gandy-Golden, the wide receiver from Liberty, this is somebody that I thought could be a nice bargain for the Jets later in the draft, but he went a little earlier than I thought. I thought he might go in the fifth round. He goes in the fourth to the Redskins at 142. Ben Bredesen, who I think is a really solid guard, could potentially at some point become a starter. So, of course, the Ravens get him at number 143. DJ Dallas, the running back from Miami, goes to the Seahawks at 144. The Eagles get Jack Driscoll, who's an interesting developmental tackle from Auburn. He goes at 145. And then the last pick in the fourth round, Tyler Biedaz. Now, Here's an interesting one. This is a guy that at one point had first round buzz. Then there were all kinds of medical problems that were being brought up. But the Cowboys just lost Travis Frederick. And as we said before, Luke, the Cowboys did really well in this draft. And this is another example. I don't know what his medical looks like, but if he can stay even remotely healthy, this could be the long-term answer to the Travis Frederick retirement. Very interesting pick here by the Cowboys. What would you think of this stretch to round out round number four? 
there's a really clear theme when you look at the back end of the fourth round, and that's really good teams who have really good offensive lines going back to that well. This is why teams should never draft for the for the, the current day. They should be drafting a year or two ahead. The the Ravens took a guard in um, in Breed, and we had Jack Driscoll go to the Philadelphia Eagles, and then Beardaz to to Dallas. Three really good midday prospects who are going to make their teams better in two or three years. They're not going to start right now. All three of those lines are in the top 10 in the NFL. But it's just, it's what good organizations do. And I think it's a step that Joe Douglas took this year, which is just adding a ton of mid-level depth and mid-tier depth to your roster. So I thought that was really interesting. Just a note on Gandy Golden. I personally wasn't surprised that he wasn't drafted by the Jets. Gase typically likes his smaller, faster receivers, Obviously, Mims has incredible 4-3-8 speed, but I didn't think they'd go back to that well of a 6-3-plus receiver who's really good overhead. That didn't surprise me. I thought if a guy uh, like one of the Memphis receivers or Davis uh, fell in the draft and they might take him, I wasn't expecting them to take Gandy Golden. And we get to the fifth round, and it began at pick number 147 with Khalid Kareem, the edge rusher from Notre Dame. At 148, Alton Robinson from Syracuse, the edge rusher. He goes to the Seahawks. 149, the Indianapolis Colts take Danny Pinter, the guard from Ball State. Shane Lemieux, the guard from Oregon, goes to the Giants at pick 150. And I hate saying this, but man, this was a really good pick for the Giants. They did well. I really liked what they did in this draft. I think Lemieux has a chance to become, at worst, a rotational piece at guard. At best, maybe he becomes an okay starter. Not a great pass protector, but a really good mauler in the run game. And certainly, that fits what Dave Gettleman likes to do, and he could absolutely help out Saquon Barkley. Joe Reed, the wide receiver from Virginia, a lot of people thought he was a sleeper. He goes at pick 151 to the Chargers. Kenny Robinson, the safety from West Virginia, goes to the Panthers at 152. Interesting draft strategy by the Panthers, by the way. They picked all defense in this draft. We will see how that pays off. The San Francisco 49ers at 153 take Colton McKilvitz, the tackle from West Virginia. Jason Strobridge, a defensive end from North Carolina, goes to the Dolphins at 154. And then another edge rusher, Travis Gibson from Tulsa, goes to the Bears at 155. Keith Ismiel, the center from San Diego State at 156 to the Redskins. And then Daniel Thomas, the safety from Auburn, goes to the Jaguars at 157. So that's everything that led up to the Jets pick of Bryce Hall at number 158. What did you think of this stretch, Luke, from pick 147 to 157 in round number five? It might not be specific to this stretch, but in general, I was surprised that some of the Oregon interior linemen slid as far as they did, some of them obviously not even being drafted. That was a surprise to me. Uh, I do like the fit uh, for uh, I always struggle with his name, but for, for Shane LeMayu from uh, from Oregon at guard. Nice player, as you said, downhill running game is going to be helpful to Saquon. Joe Reed, plenty of speed. They continue to get help for their uh, their newest quarterback one, uh, and they assisted him even further when they took Hill later in the draft. But I liked that pick and that fit. They continue to get richer at wide receiver, uh, and they're probably the picks that stood out for me. It wasn't the most eventful stretch in that early fifth round. And look at this, at number 159, the Patriots take Justin Rawasar, 
kicker from Marshall. At 160, the Browns grabbed Nick Harris to center from Washington. Luke, that one was disappointing. I really liked him as a potential center-slash-guard for the Jets. He was somebody I would have considered with one of those fourth-round picks, and here he goes at 160. Another guy that I really liked and would have considered with one of those fourth-round picks is Tyler Johnson, the wide receiver from Minnesota. He goes to the Buccaneers. The rich get richer there because they've got weapons galore. They haven't traded O.J. Howard yet, although I expect that to happen, but they've got Gronk. They've got Cameron Brait. They've got Mike Evans. They've got Chris Godwin. This is an offense that is loaded for bear, and Tyler Johnson comes in and gives them even more wide receiver depth. Really good pick in round number five. Kalik Hudson, the linebacker from Michigan, goes to the Redskins at 162. Kendall Victor, the cornerback from Georgia Southern, at 163 to the Bears. Here's another guy that I really liked and would have considered in the fourth round for the Jets. Curtis Weaver, edge rusher from Boise State. Going to the Dolphins at 164. And then at 165, same state, different team. The Jacksonville Jaguars get another guy that you and I both like, Luke. And I am a little biased because he's a Texas boy. But Colin Johnson, big kid who I think could have been in the mix to be a second-round pick if he hadn't gotten hurt this year. That's a real value pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Quintez Cephas, the wide receiver from Wisconsin, goes at 166 to the Lions. Jake Fromm goes to the Bills at 167. That is very interesting. I guess it's just a value pick. In the fifth round, the Bills just felt like they couldn't pass him up, and perhaps he becomes a long-term backup there for Josh Allen. John Hightower, the wide receiver from Boise State, goes at 168 to the Eagles. Harrison Hand, the corner from Temple, 169 to the Vikings. And Broderick Washington, defensive tackle from Texas Tech, goes to the Baltimore Ravens at 170. So, Luke, let's talk about this stretch from 159 to 170. A lot of guys that I actually really liked came off the board here, guys that I would have considered with those picks in the fourth round. Very interesting that they all made it here, particularly I'm talking about Colin Johnson, Curtis Weaver, Tyler Johnson, and Nick Harris. You took the words out of my mouth. This is when it really hurt taking P. Ryan and Morgan in the fourth round. When you start seeing Nick Harris, who I was much higher on than everyone else, but when you see him drafted, the Johnson guys, uh, Weaver, Cephas, they were quality players that would have been impactful starters if, for example, the Jets had taken Hall in the fourth round and then taken one of them in the fifth. That hurt, and it was disappointing to see guys at receiver and edge who could have been valuable players slip by. But that's life, I suppose, and, and that was the direction that Joe Douglas went. But I definitely think Colin Johnson would have been a nice fit. Again, a taller receiver, but very good overhead. Uh, Tyler Johnson could have slid inside and played slot when they went four wide. There was a couple of really nice players in there. Uh, disappointing not to get our hands on them. You touched on Jake Fromm. Really interesting because he's not a great scheme fit, but it's nice to see Buffalo get quarterback one there. Uh, but outside <laughs> of that, I thought it was a, a really good group of players and there was terrific value in the fifth round. And then after that, at 171, the Texans get Isaiah Coulter, wide receiver from Rhode Island. Not a bad pick there. Decent wide receiver depth. Jason Huntley, the running back from New Mexico State, goes at 172 to the Lions. A guy that I had identified as a sleeper, Darnell Mooney, the wide receiver from Tulane, goes to the Bears at 173. Very, very fast kid, so I'm curious to see if he develops, but... 
Fascinating pick here in the fifth round. Lorel Murchison, the defensive tackle from North Carolina State. He goes to the Titans at 174. Kamal Martin, linebacker from Minnesota to the Packers at 175. K.J. Osborne, the wide receiver from Miami, goes to the Vikings at 176. Michael Dana, the edge rusher from Michigan, goes to the Chiefs at 177. The Broncos get... Justin Strand, the linebacker from Wake Forest at number 178. And then at 179, the final pick of round number five, somebody that I really like, and I know that you like him, Luke, somebody that we thought could go in the third round. Bradley and I, the edge rusher out of Utah, goes to the Cowboys. I love that pick so much. I've talked to you about this before, Luke, but I think the difference between getting, say, an okay running back in the third or fourth round and getting an okay edge rusher at the end of the fifth is huge because the edge rusher is somebody that is at a premium position. So if you can get a guy that's a competent player there this late, that's a huge win as opposed to a running back, which is a low impact position. I thought that was the best pick of this stretch. I did like Darnell Mooney as well. Talk to me about what you thought here. Picks number 171 to 179 here in the fifth round. I think you hit the nail on the head. Bradley and I was terrific value. For the second round in a row, we saw them take uh, Tyler Bede as the center in the fourth round, and then you see them just crush it again. I think for all the flack he gets, Jerry Jones had a terrific draft. He didn't move up and down the board. He just let players fall to him. We saw it early on with C.D. Lamb and then all the way down to the end of the fifth with Bradley and I. So that was an awesome pick. I didn't think there was too much else of note in, in that group of players, but he's going to be an impact player on a front seven that gets even better in Dallas. Heading to round six at pick number 180, Hakeem Adenji, the guard from Kansas, goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. 181, a guy that I know that you like, Luke, Natane Muti, the guard from Fresno State, goes to the Broncos. If he stays healthy, he has potential to be a starter. Mike Anowano, I think that's how you pronounce it, the guard from Michigan, goes to the Patriots at 182. Giants get Cameron Brown, the linebacker from Penn State at 183. Bravian Roy, defensive tackle from Baylor, goes to the Panthers. So he stays with Matt Rule. Blake Ferguson, the long snapper from LSU, goes to the Dolphins. So maybe he's the next Thomas Hennessy. Who knows? The Chargers end up getting Aloy Gilman, safety from Notre Dame at number 186. Here's a guy that I really liked for the Jets if he had made it to the Jets pick in round number six. Donovan Peoples-Jones, stunned that he lasted this long all the way to the sixth round at 187 to the Cleveland Browns. Great value there. Tyler Bass, the kicker from Georgia Southern, goes to the Bills at 188. Jake Luton, quarterback from Oregon State, goes to the Jaguars at 189. And Charlie Warner, the tight end from Georgia, goes to the Niners at number 190. So, Luke, let's talk about this stretch. Some interesting players here. Akima Denji has some potential at guard. Certainly your guy, Natain Muti, if he can stay healthy, he could be a really nice player. But, of course, tons of medical problems with him, and that's why he slips so much because he's probably a second-round talent. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, a guy that not long ago many believed could go in the second round or even the third or fourth. Instead, he slips all the way here to pick 187 in the sixth round so strange stretch here but there were still some talented players on the board at this point what a stretch for the AFC East you had uh, you had Buffalo take a kicker you had Miami take a long snapper and then the uh, the Jets take a, a punter so incredible stretch for uh, special teams coordinators but as you said Natani Muti is a guy that I absolutely loved throughout the process I'm not surprised he fell it was going to happen because his body's an absolute mess 
But, man, Denver took a couple of really good uh, inside interior linemen. I thought Cushenberry was really nice value in the third, and they backed it up here with Natani Muti in the sixth. Uh, and then I think you also touched on Peoples-Jones. He had character issues, as Matt Miller had talked about for a couple of months, really. And that put together with some mediocre tape. I'm not completely surprised he fell. The sixth round was a bit of a shock, but had some issues both on the field and off it. And to be honest, it's probably a guy the Jets are better off steering clear from. And then after Mann went to the Jets at 191, at 192, it was John Runyon, son of former Eagles offensive lineman John Runyon. So big shock there, same name. It's kind of like the George Foreman thing. He goes to the Packers at 192. The Colts grab Rob Windsor, the defensive tackle from Penn State at 193. Khalil Davis, the defensive tackle from Nebraska, goes at 194 to the Bucks. Justin Heron, a guy that I have my eye on, guard from Wake Forest, he goes to the Patriots, like that value there. Sean Bradley, not the massive bust that at one point played for the Nets, but who was the number two overall pick in the NBA draft at seven foot six years ago for the Philadelphia 76ers. Not that guy. The linebacker from Temple goes to the Eagles at 196. John Penasini, the defensive tackle from Utah, goes to the Lions at 197. Antoine Brooks Jr., the safety from Maryland, goes to the Steelers at 198. Jordan Fuller, safety from Ohio State, goes to the Rams at 199. Quez Watkins, the wide receiver from Southern Miss, Goes to the Eagles at 200. Here's a great value pick. Somebody that I really thought had value at this spot. James Proshi, the wide receiver from Southern Methodist, SMU, goes to the Ravens at 201. I like that a lot. Evan Weaver, linebacker from California, goes to the Cardinals at 202. The Vikings get Blake Brandle, the guard from Oregon State at 203. Cash Malola, the linebacker from Wyoming, goes to the Patriots at 204. Josh Metalis, the safety from Michigan, goes to the Vikings at 205. Jaguars get Tyler Davis, the tight end from Georgia Tech, at 206. At 207, another value pick here, I think. Isaiah Hodgins, the wide receiver from Oregon State, goes to the Bills. That was a really solid pick. I think he has potential to be at least a useful receiver in the NFL. Possession guy, not anybody with any kind of speed. Jake Hansen, the center from Oregon, goes to the Packers at 208. Another value pick there. I think he has a chance to be a nice rotational guard or center. Simon Stepanak, the guard from Indiana, goes to the Packers at 209. Prince Tega Wanagahu, wow. Can't believe he fell all the way to 210, but he did. Tackle from Auburn, there was some buzz that he could go Somewhere late on day two or early on day three, instead he slips all the way here to the end of round six to the Philadelphia Eagles. Isaiah Rogers, defensive back from Massachusetts, goes to the Colts at 211. Desmond Patton, wide receiver from Washington State, goes at 212 to the Colts. Jordan Glasgow, the linebacker from Michigan, goes to the Colts at 213. Freddie Swain, the last pick in the sixth round, wide receiver from Florida, goes to the Seahawks at 214. By the way, Desmond Patman, if you remember, is somebody that Coach Nigel Burton talked about when he was on the show talking about the Pac-12 prospects, said that he could be a decent sleeper late in the draft, so we'll see if he ends up panning out for the Colts, who, by the way, had three straight picks here from 211 all the way to 213 because they got the Jets pick that they had gotten from the Chiefs and then they had two comp picks in a row. So Luke, what do you think of this? This is a long stretch that we just reviewed from pick number 192 all the way to the end of the round at 214. Who'd you like here? Who stood out? It's, it's funny that you mentioned Nigel Burton. I know he was on your podcast last week and you touched on Patman. I thought it was a really nice stretch for Pac-12 players. 
He mentioned Isaiah Hodgins again, went to Buffalo, two nice receivers in the, the fifth and sixth round for them. And then Jake Hansen, the center out of Oregon, who again, I thought could have been a better player and gone higher than that. So a nice uh, stretch for the Pac-12. I think it was surprising to see Prince fall. It wasn't surprising to see him go to the Eagles. Touched on that a couple of minutes ago. They get richer at tackle. All in all, again, it shows the impressive depth that was there in the sixth round. Thought it was an unusually deep draft. The fifth and sixth round picks were terrific guys who have a chance to not only make the 53, but be impactful starters at some positions, especially along the offensive line and wide receiver. So as you mentioned, Scott, I thought it was a really impressive stretch of players to, to, to round out the sixth round. And there were some good players still left on the board in the seventh round, but the Jets didn't have any picks. The first pick off the board was Marcus Belly, the linebacker from Purdue. He went to the Bengals, and then you get Cameron Curl, the safety from Arkansas. He goes to the Redskins at 216. Juwan Jennings, a wide receiver from Tennessee, goes to the San Francisco 49ers at 217. Carter Coughlin, the edge rusher from Minnesota, goes to the Giants at 218. Geno Stone, safety from Iowa at 219 to the Ravens. How about K.J. Hill? Wow, what a drop. Thought he could go as early as round four. Instead, he goes here to the Chargers, the wide receiver from Ohio State at number 220. And number 221, Stanley Thomas Oliver, the corner from Florida International. He goes to the Panthers. Then Arizona keeps Eno Benjamin in state, the running back from Arizona State. What a steal that was, unless there's something that I don't know about. Him lasting all the way to number 222 is just absolutely insane, Luke. I thought the Jets should have picked him in the fourth round. I can't believe he was still there in the seventh. I have no idea what went wrong. This is a guy that was a team captain, explosive player. There must be something we don't know about injury-wise or off the field, but this seemed like incredible value here for the Cardinals. So let's review this stretch. Two guys that really slipped, K.J. Hill and Eno Benjamin, to me, were the highlight here. But let's talk about picks number 215 all the way up to the pick where Eno Benjamin went at 222. What'd you think? When I found out Eno Benjamin was a school captain uh, at Arizona State, I thought we were going to draft him for sure. There was a stretch where we just kept taking captains. He was terrific value for the Cardinals. Gives them another dimension in that Cliff Kingsbury offense. Terrific fit. You touched on KJ Hill out of Ohio State. Versatile receiver who can play in the slot, stretch the field a little bit from there, like Jamison Crowder does for the Jets. Geno Stone was a nice steal playing safety for uh, for Baltimore. Pretty much of a p- positionless secondary. He's going to fit in really well there. So that was a really good under-the-radar pick that I like. Uh, some really good players. I mean, this is it's been the theme of my last few conversations with you, Scott. The, the talent and depth in this class was terrific. And we're seeing it in the seventh round. You just don't see this traditionally. It was a, it was a terrific class. Next up, it was pick number 223, Chris Claybrooks, the corner from Memphis, goes to the Jaguars. Cole McDonald, the quarterback from Hawaii, goes to the Titans at 224. So developmental prospect there. Maybe they sit him behind Ryan Tannehill and see what he can turn into. Kenny Willicks, the defensive end from Michigan State, goes to the Minnesota Vikings at 225. Arlington Hambright, the guard from Colorado, goes to the Bears at 226. Lachavius Simmons, the guard from Tennessee State goes to the Bears at 227. Sterling Hoffreter, punter from Syracuse. So not just one punter goes in this draft, a second one. He goes to the Atlanta Falcons at 228. James Smith-Williams, the edge rusher from North Carolina State, goes to the Redskins at number 229 at 230. 
It was the Patriots taking Dustin Woodard, the center from Memphis. Ben DiNucci, quarterback from James Madison, goes to the Cowboys at 231. Carlos Davis, defensive tackle from Nebraska to the Steelers at 232. Casey Tuhill, who I thought could have been an interesting possibility late in the draft for the Jets, the edge rusher from Stanford. He goes to the Eagles at 233. Clay Johnston, linebacker from Baylor, goes to the Rams at 234. Deshaun Cornell, defensive tackle from Ohio State. He goes to the Lions at 235. Vernon Scott, defensive back from Texas Christian to the Packers at 236. But Petty Keys, cornerback from Tulane, goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at 237. Giants get TJ Brunson, linebacker from South Carolina at 238. At 239, Dane Jackson, the corner from Pittsburgh to the Bills. Also at 240, Tommy Stevens goes to the Saints, the quarterback from Mississippi State. Tampa gets Chappelle Russell, the linebacker from Temple at 241. Makes me think of Dave Chappelle, of course. And here's one that slipped a lot, too, because this is somebody that I thought could go somewhere in that fourth-round range. Jonathan Garvin, the edge rusher from the University of Miami, goes at 242 to the Packers. Seems like a real steal there. What did you think of this stretch, Luke? I'll touch on a couple of Vikings picks. They had about 70,000 picks over the last couple of days <laughs> of the draft. I thought Kenny Willickies is a really good player. Again, he's in that Bradley and I kind of mold where he's not the most athletically gifted, but he plays with his hair on fire. Um, he's limited athletically somewhat, but he'll give you everything he has in his repertoire, has enough power and, and hand usage technique to get by in the NFL. And I think he can be useful on their front seven. He's a little out of the range you just mentioned, but I'm surprised Nate Stanley got drafted as well, the quarterback out of Iowa. I don't see a lot there. I'm not really sure why they why they picked him. Um, but there were a couple of interesting picks. I thought Minnesota handled the draft really well as a whole, though. I like the way they traded back constantly and accumulated assets. So there were a couple that intrigued me in this stretch for sure. Next up was Chris Jackson, the defensive back from Marshall. He goes to the Titans at 243. Nate Stanley, the quarterback from Iowa, Goes at number 244 to the Vikings. It was the seventh round, so who cares? But, man, I really am not very high on Nate Stanley. Raymond Kalals, the running back from Louisiana Lafayette, goes to the Bucks at 245. At 246, the Dolphins get Malcolm Perry, the wide receiver from Navy. Chris Williamson, the corner from Minnesota, goes to the Giants at 247. Sam Sloman, kicker from Miami of Ohio, goes to the Rams at 248. So plenty of special teams action here in this draft, Luke, on day number three. Brian Cole, the second, the safety from Mississippi State, Goes to the Vikings at 249. Tremaine Antrim, the guard from Clemson, goes to the Rams at 250. Seahawks get Stephen Sullivan, the tight end from LSU, at number 251. Tyree Cleveland, the wide receiver from Florida, goes at number 252 to the Broncos. Kyle Hinton, the guard from Washburn, goes to the Vikings at 253. Derek Tezuka, the North Dakota State edge rusher, goes to the Broncos at 254. And finally... The last pick of the draft, the man that they call Mr. Irrelevant, Tay Crowder, the linebacker from Georgia, goes to the Giants at 255. So, Luke, any thoughts on this final stretch here on day number three? I'm going to be completely honest with you, Scott. Nothing particularly jumped out at me the back half of the seventh round. I think that's when the talent kind of finally ran out in this class. I actually was a little surprised that Huff, who the Jets ended up with in, uh, in unrestricted free agency, I was surprised, sorry, undrafted free agency. I was surprised he didn't get selected in that range. I don't think there's a ton of talent there. Nothing to uh, to really note anyway. 
Luke, really quickly before we go, since you weren't on for day number one or day number two of our draft coverage, I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about the picks that the Jets made before day number three. I know that you had almost a premonition of sorts when it comes to Ashton Davis, who the Jets picked at number 68. But what did you think of what the Jets did on day one and day two? I think Beckton was a really nice pick. I wasn't surprised that two tackles fell. It was kind of my gut feeling was that two were going to be there at 11. And then as we were on the clock, you started reading that it looked like people like Jeff Swartz were saying that Beckton was going to be the guy. I know you touched on this the other day when you were talking on the pod, but I, I'm going to lean on the experts, guys like Joe Thomas uh, and Jeff Swartz and, and Duke. So they're guys I trust and they have much better opinions and, and more knowledge on the on the, uh, the position than I do. So I liked the pick. I liked the strategy of going tackle first. Mims and how Joe handled pick 48 originally was terrific. Accumulating in the end two extra additional fourths, that was terrific. And getting a guy who was my wide receiver five in the class, I think Mims is special athletically. People talk about his hands. I actually think he had terrific hands. There was some concentration drops sprinkled in, but a guy who will kill you above the rim is going to be a red zone presence the Jets haven't had since Marshall in 2015. Loved that pick. Uh, you mentioned Davis quickly, super good athlete, sideline to sideline speed at safety. Will he see a little bit of time at corner? I'm not sure. It's a possibility for sure. Uh, and then Zuniga was a pick I was fairly impartial on. Obviously, most Jets fans have PTSD when it comes to Florida edge rushes, but I think it's important we evaluate the player and not the jersey, as we always say. Uh, was injured, but definitely has some twitch and speed. I comped him to Emmanuel Ogba, uh, probably not the most flashy player, but it's that first step quickness and suddenness and ability to penetrate in the run game that impressed me. Doesn't have ideal hip flex or bend, isn't going to be a 10-sack guy around the edge, but has enough athleticism and, and speed to excite you. Uh, and it's obviously a barren position for the Jets. So all in all, I was really impressed with the class. Not a huge fan of grades and things like that when you haven't seen them on the field, but it was in that B range for me. Fell apart a little bit on day three early on, but I think he recovered well and all in all a huge step forward for the Jets. I like the draft class a lot as well. They lost me a little bit with a couple of those picks. I wasn't a huge fan of Jabari Zaniga. I wasn't a huge fan of LaMichael Perrine. And I wasn't a huge fan of Captain Morgan. But I did really like the three picks before it. And I like the three picks after it. And I'm fine with the Quincy Wilson trade. So overall, solid. Plus, Lamar Jackson is another guy that maybe comes in here and competes for a roster spot. And if nothing else, it gives us a joke to say for the next couple of months as we remind people that the Jets have Lamar Jackson not the league reigning MVP, but the guy who's actually going to be picking off the league reigning MVP for many years to come. Hey, we can dream, right, Luke? <laughs> exactly right. So that'll wrap up day number three of the NFL draft. It is in the books. It is going to be an interesting stretch now as we figure out what the Jets do next. There are still some free agents that they may attack, so we're going to talk about that in the next couple of days. And then obviously we're really going to dissect in great detail, all of the players that the Jets just got in the NFL draft. So keep your ears and eyes open for that. Luke, thanks so much for joining me to recap day number three. Really appreciate it. I should remind people, if you don't have Luke's draft guide, 
go ahead and email him or reach out to him on Twitter via DM, and he'll send it to you. I know the draft is over, but you can still check out his write-ups, especially for the guys that the Jets ended up drafting, and then maybe you can look at some of the guys that they didn't take and see if you think they made a mistake there. It's free this year because of what's going on in the world, so you should absolutely reach out to Luke and get yourself a copy. Luke, how can they do that, and how can they find you if they want to talk some football with you? Yeah, if you want to uh, if you want to get some more information on draft prospects or on the Jets in general, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @LukeGrant7. If you're after the draft guide specifically, feel free to drop me an email. It's lgrant0714 at yahoo.com.au. So either of those platforms, just send me a message, say hello. Always happy to talk Jets football and uh, and see this franchise return to the playoffs. Fingers crossed. Pretty soon. Absolutely, Luke. Got to say, by the way, great to talk draft with you. Anything to take my mind off of the fact that I just watched Miley Cyrus cover Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd on Saturday Night Live, and now I honestly want to chop my ears off. So one of the worst things I've ever heard. If you haven't had a chance to hear it, you probably should. Just for the comedic value, it's one of the cringiest things I've ever heard. Hopefully this Jets draft class, though, does not end up being anywhere near that cringy. Hopefully it lives up to the high praise that Luke and I and many others are giving it right now. We'll find out in the next couple of years, but for now, certainly reason to be optimistic heading into the 2020 season. If you haven't had a chance to give us a review on iTunes yet, really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star review. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it does help us out a lot. So if you go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.